Well, good morning, Living Church. How are we doing? Everybody alive? Feeling good? Uh, man, it's been an exciting weekend here at Living Church, like Pastor Whitney said. Uh, just yesterday, we had our men's shootout, and a whole bunch of guys showed up, and we shot shotguns, Pastor Whitney. That's what we were shooting. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I uh, last week did a little smack talking, and I got put, in my, put back in my place yesterday. <laughs> I think that what happened is I told everyone I was going to win, and then all the shooters in the church was like, oh, yeah, and they all showed up, and I didn't even make the top ten. But anyways, we had a lot of fun. Everybody's shoulders are a little bit sore. Uh, it was a good time. I would show you a picture of all the guys that went, but there were no women there to tell us to stand together and take a photo. <laughs> and, so, and so we didn't take any pictures, but it was a lot of fun. Man, uh, have a celebration to share. Uh, one of our elders here, Julie Short, ran for city council, and yesterday she won her city council election. And uh, the reason that I share that, uh, the re she was here in the first service, but the reason that I share that is because I think it's important that the church doesn't just exist in the bubble of the church, but that we get out and try to make an impact for Jesus everywhere. And so I'm thankful that you guys are doing that and that we're represented uh, through her. So I'm thankful for her service. And like Pastor Whitney said, next week is Mother's Day. So come on, guys, pull it together. You got seven days. She does not want a toaster or a vacuum, I promise. Trust me, I tried that vacuum thing once. It did not work out well. And so, so be, be excited. Uh, and moms... Bring your kids. If you've got kids that maybe they don't go to church, Mother's Day, when they say, hey, Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? Say, I want you to come to church with me. And it's a great opportunity to help use that mom muscle to get them in here so they can learn that Jesus loves them and that he wants to have a relationship with them. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Brandon did an unbelievable job preaching to us, talking to us about how God, Jesus, is the good shepherd. Uh, how many of you were here last Sunday? Man, so good. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go online to livingchurch.com. And let that teach you a little bit about who God is and who Jesus is and how he wants to be the shepherd over our lives. I'm so thankful for the great team of communicators that God's establishing here at Living Church, that it's not just all on me, but that we've got a great team that God is raising up uh, to have a unified voice in teaching the good news. And it's exciting to hear it. But we've been in a series titled, Who is Jesus?, where we've been looking at the seven I am statements uh, Jesus' best friend John records in his book. And Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the door, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, I am the true vine, there's seven. And so I am the true vine. And so if you're counting, we've already done all seven, and this is week eight. And so this is not by accident. The plan was that on week eight, I was going to share another idea that Jesus tells us about himself in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In those three Gospels, Jesus refers back to a scripture in Psalms 118 that says this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And Jesus calls himself the cornerstone. The cornerstone is a stone that you would put in a building, and then from that stone you would build the rest of the foundation of the building. And I was excited, man. I was ready to preach. I had props, right? And I had, like, construction analogies. And we even have a song we sang today called I Am the Cornerstone. And I was praying about it, and God said, put it on the shelf. It's not what I want you to teach. And I said, come on, man. This is good. Like, let me preach this. This is good, God. Like, I got, I got all kinds of stuff. And he said, there's something else that we need to talk about as a church about who is Jesus. I said, okay. So I started to make a list and read through Scripture and remind myself who Jesus is. Because all throughout the Bible, it tells us who Jesus is. So I started to build a list. And I came up with things like, you know, Jesus is our advocate. He's our authority. He's the bridegroom. He's our high priest. He's an indescribable gift. He's a servant. He's a judge. 
He's our mediator. He's our redeemer. He's our rock. He's our friend. That's good. That he's our friend. He's our wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says that he's the Lion of Judah. Yeah. Rawr, right? He is uh, the Lamb of God. <laughs> that was not as good. Uh, I could put those two together. That'd be a great sermon. Uh, he's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Elf and the Omega. He's the beginning of the end. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's all of these things. And as I'm building the list of who Jesus is, I realize to really understand who Jesus is, we have to know that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's not like a separate guy who is just a good teacher. He's not a famous historical figure, but that Jesus is God. And so today we're putting uh, Jesus the cornerstone on the shelf. We'll preach that some other day. All these ideas throughout the length of my ministry, I'm excited to preach all these things about who Jesus is. But today we want to talk about how Jesus is God. And today uh, is kind of deep. It's a deep idea. And so a part of my calling, I believe, is to turn meat into milk and to take the meat and the depth of the word and put it into my blender brain and then turn it into something that's more easily digestible. But today you're going to have to hold on with me because it's a deep idea that Jesus is God. You know, I think that learning happens when there's preparation and anticipation. That when a person comes prepared to explain something, but on the other hand, people have to be anticipating to learn something. And so if I could give you any uh, direction, it'd be sit up in your spirit today and like hold on with me a little tighter. I'm not going to be doing the same song and dance maybe as normal, but that you would hold on and know that this is going to be a deeper idea for us to hold on to uh, today. I'm really excited to get to John chapter 1. We've been walking through the book of John, but before we get to John chapter 1, there's a bunch of other illustrations of how Jesus makes his declaration that he is God. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and after he heals him, he says, and your sins are forgiven. Well, who has the power to forgive sins? God. Later in that same chapter, in Mark chapter 2, the disciples are walking through a field, uh, and they're hungry. And the Bible says they started to pluck heads of grain off the top of the plant and put them in their mouth. And there were some Pharisees watching them walk through the field. And the Pharisees said, who are these men that they would break the law of the Sabbath? You know, on the Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to work. And so they're harvesting grain. <laughs> and so the religious leaders are trying to stick to the letter of the law. And they say, who are these men? And Jesus' response is, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, which is a giant idea because the Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments, and Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Commandments. He's making this declaration that he is God. In Mark chapter 3 and all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus would interact with a person who was demon-possessed, and he would cast the demon out, before the demon would leave, he would, the demon would say, you are the Son of God. The demon, who would, had access to see things that we can't always see, knew that Jesus was not just a teacher, but was God. In Matthew and Mark, they both record the same instance, the same story. Uh, it's found in Mark chapter 8 and Matthew 16. I'm going to read Mark's edition of it. It says this, starting in verse 13. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do you all say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So the people that had heard Jesus as they're trying to figure out who he is, they think that he's a prophet or a teacher. But what about you, he asked. What do you say that I am? 
this verse is the reason I felt like we had to preach this message today. Who is Jesus? Jesus defines to us who he is. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you on this rock, on this truth, on this understanding that I'm not just a teacher, but that I am the son of God. On this rock, I will build my church. He goes on, I says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's good news, y'all. This, this scripture, it's the reason we have to understand who Jesus is. We have to know he's not just a man, but he is God. It goes on, and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know what that means? There's power in our words. There's power in our prayer. That as we pray, the reason we have power is because Jesus was not just a historical figure, but because Jesus is God. So there's all these truths that point to Jesus being God. Later on, uh, in Mark 14, Jesus is betrayed, and then he's taken into captivity, and he's being interrogated. And it says this uh, in Mark 14, 61. It says, again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you claiming to be God? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and the coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus is referring to a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where Daniel was a prophet in the Old Testament who had this vision. He had a, a vision of God and a man coming and sitting at the right hand of God to rule. Now, this is important detail, because if you're standing next to a king, that means that you are subject to his rule. But if you are sitting next to the king, that means that you are ruling with him. And so Jesus says, I'm not just standing next to the king, but I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. So he identifies to us that he's not just a teacher, he is God. You with me? Yeah. And we're going deep. So Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the Lord. And so most of the series we've been looking at the book of John, where we're getting, uh, I am the true vine, I am the way, the truth, the life, I am the door. But in John chapter 1, the very first chapter, the first 18 verses, J John paints for us a lens that we should be looking through. It's like his intro to the whole book. And once we understand this, we can put on a lens to understand why it's such a big deal that he's our shepherd. So I want to read it, and then we're going to explain some of it. John chapter 1, starting verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, so at creation, in the beginning was the word. Everyone say word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. So it says the word, the word, the word, then he. So it identifies to us that the word that we're talking about is not just spoken word, but is a person. Verse 14, uh, no, verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So again, the word is a person. It says we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. Here it is, who is himself God? Shut the book, you're dismissed, Jesus is God. It's right there, plain as day, you can look at all the illustrations, but it's telling us that Jesus is God. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father has made himself God known. So this is, I want to unpack this a little bit. Back at verse 1, let me read it again. It says, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word in Greek is translated into the word logos. Everyone say logos. Logos, logos is the personification of God's revelation. It's how God personifies himself. It's God's essence. The word is more than just what we would view it as. So God's word is powerful. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, right? He spoke out light, and everything was created. So one of the ways that God interacts with man is through his word. So his word created. But then another way that God interacts with man is through his word, is through his written word, right? So this is meant to interact with us. When we read the Bible, we're reading God's word. But another word that they're telling us, the personification of God, is through Jesus, that God put on flesh, he became Emmanuel, we hear that at Christmas time, God with us, and he became one among us. So when it's telling us that it is the word, it's talking about Jesus. Verse 14, it says, the word became flesh, and made its dwelling among us. So the word, in verses 1 and 2, we find out in 14 and 18 that it means Jesus. You with me? Okay, so let me read verse 1 again, and I'll take out the word, word, and put in the word Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God, and he was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Now, with and was are two different things, right? Like, if I'm with you, that means there's two of us. But if I was you, it's bad English, that means there's one of us, right? <laughs> it doesn't really work in our context. I am, he is with God, and he was God. So here's where it starts to get deep. God is one being in three persons. He's one being. A being is something that is alive, has essence, it has life and vitality. God is one being in three persons. Yeah. I am a human being. Hello, right? I'm a human being, and I am one person. That's who I am. God is one being in three persons. What I am is a human being. That's what I am. But who I am is different than what I am. Right? Because if you had to define who Trustin is, I am different than just a human being. Because you are a human being, and I am a human being, but I'm different than you, and you're different than me. And so God has three persons in who he is. So what I am is human, but who I am is loud and kind, unless you cut me off in traffic, right? I like cheeseburgers, right? Like this is, this is, this is who I am, <laughs> but what I am is human. And so God is one being in three persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see that happening right here because it's saying that God, Jesus is with God and he was God. So there's two of the three. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it starts to get a little like, I don't understand that. I don't really get how this is working. Let me give you a couple examples that help me kind of quantify how this actually makes sense. Uh, an egg, if you're making an omelet, right? An egg is one egg, but it is a shell, it is a yolk, and it is an egg white. Yeah. There's three separate pieces that make up one thing. God is one being in three persons. A uh, water, H2O, is one element, 
but that element can exist in liquid, in solid, or in gas, right? It's one thing, but it has the ability to be water that you can drink, ice that is frozen, or steam that can power a locomotive. It's one element in three things. A triangle is one shape made out of three equal pieces. So three equal pieces make up this one shape. And so what God is saying is he's saying, I am one being that exists in three persons. This is hard for us to understand because it's beyond our realm of existence. Because I'm one person and I'm one being. And so it's tough because, you know, the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It tells us that for a man to fully understand God is like a worm, the earthworm, being able to understand a man. An earthworm does not know what the stress of paying bills. Right? The earthworm does not have to show up to work on time and answer emails. A earthworm does not have to save money for a retirement. Right? Earthworm doesn't have to do that stuff. It cannot understand the complexity of my life in the same way that I can't fully understand the complexity of who God is. I can try, but the thing that bridges this gap of my intellectual capacity and who God is, that's called faith. This is where faith has to exist. And a lot of times I meet people that they don't believe in God, but they, they don't believe in God because they don't have the intellectual capacity to understand God. And so to really serve God takes humility. Because you have to say, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it all works. I mean, there's days I don't know why God loves me, y'all. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm a jerk sometimes. Like, I screw up and I disobey things that I know I should be doing. I don't know why God loves me, but he does. Yeah. And so it's in that that we have faith that God loves us. You with me? Yeah. So Jesus is telling us that he is God. And so we have to have some faith in the pieces that we don't understand of how he's one being in three persons. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Jesus is God, which means that God is Jesus. Jesus is God. That means that God is Jesus. This is good news. Here's why. Because when Jesus shows love, he shows us who God is. We sometimes we get this idea that Jesus and God are like good cop, bad cop. That like Jesus is like the nice guy who has like the long protein V commercial hair, right? Like in a white robe. Like Jesus is a nice guy, but then God's like this big angry ruler in heaven. No, 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 we're, we're missing it. God put on flesh to become Jesus so that we could understand who he is. So when Jesus is kind, he's showing us that God is kind. When Jesus is forgiving, it's showing us that God is forgiving. When Jesus is powerful, it shows us that God is powerful. God put on flesh through Jesus so we could understand who he is. Who is Jesus? He is God. He helps us understand who God is. You see, God is the door, but he's also the guy that installed the door. God is the bread, but he's also the guy that baked the bread right? God is the light of the world, but he's also the outlet the light is plugged into. That's who he is. God is the way, but he's also the destination. That's who God is. And so to understand who is Jesus, we have to identify that he's not just a teacher. He's not just a historical figure or a prophet, but he is God. 
there's another time in Scripture that Jesus says, I am, other than the other I am statements. But this time, he doesn't follow it up with a noun. He just leaves it hanging. He says, I am. It's John 8, 58. It says this, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember Abraham? Father, Father Abraham had many sons. If you grew up in church, many sons had Father Abraham. It's a kid's song. Father Abraham, he's old school. He's the OG. He's the original gangster, right? Like Abraham's like way back. And so he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. And he just leaves it there. And it's this amazing statement because there's nothing, there's no greater claim that he could have made that before Abraham was, I am. This, this saying, uh, I am, in the Greek, he would have had two vocabulary options to choose from before he said, before Abraham was, I am. He had two options. You know how in our language that there are some words that they mean the same thing? It's the same thing here. He could have said the word ego. Everyone say ego. You're learning some Greek this morning. Ego. We understand what ego in our context mean. If someone's egotistical, they're always talking about themselves, right? That means I am. I am. It's all about me. So he could have said ego, talking about himself. Or his other option is he could have said emi. Everyone say emi. E-I-M-I. Emi. Emi, it means I am in a different tense. In a past tense or a future tense. So you would say, um, if someone said, are you going, or who's going to the party? Who's going to the party, future tense? And you were going, you would say, Emi, <laughs> Emi, I'm going to the party. It's not till next weekend, but Emi, I'm going to be at the party next weekend. But if someone said, who was at the party, past tense, right? Who was there? You would say, Emi, I was there, past tense. Here's the amazing thing in John chapter 8 and all throughout the book of John when he says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus says, I am, he doesn't just say ego. He doesn't just say emi. He says, ego emi. He says, I was, I am, and I always will be. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's making this statement that to us, it doesn't really mean that much. But to people in the day, it would have sent this shockwave through the crowd of like, whoa. What did he just say? He just said ego emi. He just took this thing to a whole nother level that we don't really fully understand. And the reason is, is because this is the first name that God identifies himself as. The hearers in that day would have been very familiar with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And they would have known the account of Moses really well. Like the way that we all got excited for uh, Avengers Affinity War, they were excited about Moses, right? <laughs> like they were tweeting about Moses, they knew that story inside and out, they knew all the details. And so they knew what happened with Moses. They knew that Moses was born, his mom put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile River, and that he got pulled out of the river by an Egyptian princess and brought into the palace to be raised as Egyptian, and that he didn't really fit in because he's Hebrew, but he's living in the palace, so the Hebrews are mad at him, but he's not really Egyptian, so the Egyptians are mad at him, he never really fits in. And then one day, Moses sees an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew slave, and so he gets mad, and he kills the soldier. But then the slaves say, who are you? Why did you do this? No, he's afraid of the slaves, and he runs away out of Egypt. While he's ran away from Egypt, he meets a guy named Jethro, falls in love with his daughter, her, uh, and so he marries this lady. He starts working for his father-in-law to be, guess what, a shepherd. And so he's a shepherd working in the wilderness. And one day, while he's out tending to the sheep, he sees a bush that's on fire. There's a burning bush, and so he walks over the burning bush. He's like, this is weird. And then God starts to speak to him. Yeah. 
So God starts to speak to him and tells him to go back to Egypt where he ran away from and to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So we get that account here in Exodus 3.10. God says, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, man, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Hear the insecurity, the nervousness. He's saying, I'm nobody. I'm not important. I'm not special. The Egyptians don't like me. The Israelites don't like me. God, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. Moses said to God, suppose I go to, see how it is, he's going to say yes. Suppose I go to, maybe I'll do what you say, God. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, Abraham, has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So Moses is like, God, you're asking me to go do something that's crazy. It's going to get me killed. You want me to go back and then I'm going to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me? Why would I say that? Here it is, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Ego, emi. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God says, this is my name forever, the name that shall call me from generations to generations. This statement in Hebrew, God saying, I am that I am, is ego, emi. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the bread of life, he's referencing the original name of God, Yahweh, that everybody would have understood in that time, uh, time frame to say, I am God. Come on, somebody. That's why Jesus is God. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just some guy that supposedly got killed and then rose again on the third day. The reason he was able to do that is because he's God. He was God with flesh on so that we could get to know him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. This is the perfect name for God. Because I don't know about you, but I spend a whole lot of time thinking about what I'm not. I spend a lot of time looking at my deficit. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm not good enough to do the things that God called me to do. But God looks at us and he says, I know you're not, but I am. I know you're not, but I am. I'm the same yesterday, I'm the same today, and I'll be the same forever. That when you didn't have it back then, I was, and we don't have it now, I am, and when tomorrow's not looking great, I'll be the same guy then. God's saying, I am to us. And so when you feel overpowered, he says, I am your power. He says, when you feel like you are weak, he's saying, I am your authority. He's saying that when you are sick, I am your healing. When you don't know what the future holds, he says, I am your cornerstone. I'm the thing that you can build upon. God is telling us, I am. And then Jesus shows up and he says, ego emi, I am. I'm the God that you've been serving. I've put on flesh so that you could see who God is. This is why it's important. Because when we know who Jesus is, we discover who we can be. When we know who Jesus is, when we know that he is the true vine, that is the one who supplies the needs to the branches so we can bear fruit, when we know who he is, we can step into who we're called to be. When we know that he's the door, we don't have to try to make our way to God through our righteous acts, but because he made us righteous. When we know who he is, we can be who we have called to be. When you know your identity in him, it helps you discover who you are. 
That's good news, man, that through knowing Jesus, it expands this. Look at what happened with Moses. So Moses <laughs> goes from this guy who's terrified of the slaves in Egypt. He's terrified. He ran and hid for 40 years, worked for a dude named Jethro for 40 years because he's afraid of some slaves. To, to he transitions into this person who walks in to the palace of the king of Egypt and says, let my people go. What happened? He met I am. He met a God who was what he needed. And it allowed him to walk in the authority that God created him and dead predestined him to walk in. And so the moments that we feel afraid and we feel insecure and we feel like we can't do the things that we've been called to do, it's because we're looking at ourselves based on us instead of looking at ourselves based on who he is. Because the Bible says that we are created in whose image? In God's image. We're made in his image. And because we're in his image, we can do the things that he's called us to do. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and because he is, we can do what we're called to do. And so I want to pray for you this morning that as you attack life and live life, and you get a black eye from life, and you get a bloody nose, and you have all these issues in life, that you would know that you are not walking into it alone, but you're walking into it with I am with you. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every story that happened in the Bible is true, and it can be true again in your life. The same miracles that God did then, he still do. I hear it every week, man. I hear testimony after testimony every week here at Living Church of God doing miraculous things in people's lives because he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But before we do that, maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I'm far from God. You talk about how God isn't this big bad guy in heaven who's angry at me, and I never thought about it like that before, and I'm far from him. You know, the Bible says that all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, all of us. But that separation, it broke God's heart. So he sent himself in the form of Jesus to accept the payment for our sin and to be crucified on a cross. And that all we have to do is not follow the law of the letter of man's religion, but we have to accept the forgiveness of God and be covered in his righteousness. So no matter what you've done, God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. So all across this room, if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. And if that's you, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, you know, I'm ready to get right. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and accept him into my heart. We want to pray a prayer with you today that simply from your heart to God's heart, saying, forgive me of my sins and make me new. If that's you on the count of three, would you just raise your hand up so we can pray with you? One, two, three. Yep, hands already going up. Anybody else? Say, today's my day. Come on, put them up. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Say, today's my day. Living church, would you pray with me? And those that raised their hands this morning, everyone say this. Dear God, forgive me my sin and come into my heart. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. You are my king, and I'll follow you. Thank you for saving me. I love you. Amen. Can we give those people a hand this morning that made that decision to follow Jesus? You know, if I can, just for, just for one more second, I want to just give you one more idea. I don't have time to do the whole teaching on it. Jesus, God is one being in three persons. Jesus is one of those. He is God with us. But there's a whole other side. 
that of God in us, right? So we have God our Father, God the Son, He's with us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. So I want to just read you a couple verses and uh, just talk about something really fast. Matthew, or J- John 14, 26 says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so we have all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. In John 16, 7, Jesus says this, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. So, let me unpack this first. Jesus is talking to his disciples who have literally been walking with Jesus. That would be amazing, right? Like any problem you have, like Jesus can heal it. You know, if you're hungry, boom, he can multiply some bread. Like there's a storm, peace be still. Jesus can fix all the problems like in the moment. But then Jesus, he's crucified, he dies, then he raises again, so he's alive again, and he tells his disciples, hey guys, I'm about to ascend to heaven. I'm leaving. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait wait a minute, Jesus. This has been all kind of drama. You can't leave us again. What are you talking about? Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. That's what this verse is. But in fact, it's better for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So, Jesus was God in flesh. So because he's in flesh, he's limited by the construct of time and space. So Jesus could only be where Jesus was. But Jesus is saying, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come back, and he is not limited by time and space because he's not trapped in flesh. So he can be with me over here, and he can be with you over there. And so the Holy Spirit can be with us everywhere that we go. And he's saying that the Holy Spirit will come and will live in you, that he will empower you. Then Acts 1.8, after in the New Testament, it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So the Holy Spirit is one that wants to come into our life and fill us with power. I can't do the whole teaching. Today, God told me to tell you Jesus is God, right? But short time ago, we did a series here uh, at Living Church called Suit Up, and we walked through the armor of God that we need to put on. The last week of that series, in Ephesians 4, it says that after you put on the full armor of God, it says, and pray in the Spirit. And so a Sunday morning, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, what it means to put on the power of the Holy Spirit, and we talked all through this third piece of the Godhead. So we understand the Father, because most of us have fathers, or our fathers, or have seen a father on TV. Most of us understand the Son, because we are a son, or know someone who is a son. But the Spirit part is confusing sometimes. But it's not confusing. We just have to realize we can't fully understand everything, and so we have to have faith in what the Bible says. And so that last week of Suit Up, we did a full teaching on who the Holy Spirit is, and then uh, the next Sunday night, we had a service, and we did a teaching on the three baptisms. So the baptism of salvation, the baptism of water, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I'd encourage you to go online to livingchurch.com, click the media tab, and then you can go down to Suit Up, watch the eighth week, Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search Living Church and find, um, it's called Second Sunday. We'll, uh, Whitney, we can post something on it. We'll post it. We'll post it this afternoon so you can find it, right? And so you can watch that or listen to those if you're curious. Or you can just read the book of Acts. 
You just read the book of Acts in your own time. So the book of Acts happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four stories of the same thing from different perspectives. Then the book of Acts talks about what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. And so the time they were living in that day is the same time we're living in today. It's post-Jesus ascension, but yet before his return. I'm getting super deep in this 1030 service. And so, so read the book of Acts, and it's going to help you kind of understand who the Holy Spirit is and what his purpose is in our life. Jesus is with us, but the Holy Spirit is in us. Cool? Okay. Good. When we understand who he is, it helps us be who we're created to be. And so if you feel like a hiccup in your giddy-up, that was wrong. If you feel a hitch in your giddy-ups, yeah, maybe it's because you're running through life alone and you need to allow God to invade your space a little bit more and help you through the troubles that you're having. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your people. I pray that this teaching would resonate in their heart and their mind, that they'd be thinking about it and chewing on it. Maybe they'd go back and listen to it again. And Lord, that you would help all of us understand that you are so much more than just a guy who lived for 33 years and gave us some good teaching, but that you are God. And that everything we see in Jesus is a mere reflection of God who you are. And that you love us and have a plan for us and want to protect us and walk through life with us. When we understand who you are, it helps us understand who we are. We thank you, Lord. In your name we all said, amen.